morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I am your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Thank you to the generous underwriters of Sharper Iron, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information, and Luther Classical College, a college for Lutherans by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Monday, July 17th, we are studying Psalm 84. In today's text, the Lord teaches us to pray with yearning and delight to be in His house, learning His way, singing His praise. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Luke Zimmerman. Pastor Zimmerman serves at Calvary Evangelical Lutheran Church in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. Pastor Zimmerman, welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is good to be back on Sharper Iron. So we get started today, Pastor Zimmerman. Talk to us a little bit about the Psalms in general. What do we need to know about this wonderful book to help us use it and appreciate it as Christians? Great opening question. Uh, the Psalter is a very interesting kind of book because um, we definitely speak of the Psalter as being part of the Holy Scriptures. So we, we absolutely speak about the Psalter being the Word of God. And you will see that, especially um, like in the New Testament, when the Psalter is quoted, uh, again, uh, the people quoting it, uh, Jesus himself will talk about uh, the writers writing in the Spirit, uh, also the apostles when, when they quote the Psalter. So we, so we do speak about it being the Word of God. However, the Psalter may be a bit more than some of the other portions of the Scriptures also are a place where we see the experiences of the writers being reflected a lot um, in what they speak truthfully about the Lord, they're interacting with the Lord, maybe promises that the Lord has made, which, which they are um, grabbing hold of and believing and trusting. And so we have this bit more flavor, if you will, of like the personal um, lives of the authors. That makes it such an interesting book in the scriptures because as we read the Psalter, uh, we are learning truths about the Lord's identity, the Lord's work, the uh, Lord's characteristics, um, statements the Lord has made. But we're also at times seeing kind of the similar experiences that we might be going through and our own interactions with the Lord. And that makes the Psalter kind of a, um, uh, a helpful tool, uh, especially as we're wrestling with this. What does it mean to be uh, living as one of the Lord's faithful people in a world where we are experiencing our own uh, troubles, uh, our own afflictions, um, problems that, that, that we are encountering, um, maybe our own quandaries of faith. Um, why are things happening? And, and we want to maybe actually like say, could I, could I dare even uh, put something in the complaint box to the Lord? And we say, yeah, well, the, the psalmist certainly do at, at, at times. 
And so it, it can be one of these that we use often um, in our counseling or our interacting with, with our own or someone else's um, difficulties. And so it, it's, it's not um, uncommon for us as, as clergy who, who are interacting with um, parishioners or fellow believers, uh, maybe even people who are you know, experiencing some belief in God, but they need to have that bolstered. And be like, could, could I actually be a faithful believer in the Lord and have these types of thoughts? And it'd be like, yeah, let me point you to someone like David or one of the other psalmists and say, yeah, um, you know, that kind of thought that you're having, uh, they had it. And let me let me pull out one of these um, psalms that, that show you this. Um, in fact, there was, uh, I can't remember the author right offhand, uh, but one of the one of the books on the Psalms, at least some of the the plaintive uh, Psalms, Psalms of complaint, um, is, is something like when when God becomes my enemy or when the Lord becomes my enemy or something like that, which which is really kind of helpful uh, dissecting some of those Psalms when when people are sometimes maybe like, I believe in the Lord, I believe His promises, but I'm also interacting with these um, situations where it seems like maybe God has even forgotten me. Or actually, is actually maybe even opposed to me. Uh, how do how do I wrestle with that? Yeah. And the Psalms uh, provide us a, a bit of an arsenal for that. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, Psalm eighty four doesn't quite have that same sense of wrestling. It's a little bit different of a genre today. What do we need to know as we approach this particular Psalm? Well, one of the things we want to actually point out to our our listeners is that when you pick up a, the book of Psalms, and occasionally you, you'll, you'll see it in your Bible, and depending on, on what the editors do, you know, in terms of like typeset and things like that, is every once in a while you'll have like, you'll have the Psalm and you'll have the number, you know, so one to 150, and then it will have something that looks like maybe even like a title or um, a, I guess the technical uh, term we use would be a superscription that, that that's, uh, what we usually say uh, to, to to sound fancy, <laughs> you know, um, to sound educated, uh, but those are not uh, to be ignored uh, because they give us some details about sometimes like the occasion of this being written, who the author is, um, maybe um, even like the musical setting of it, which some of those are sometimes hard to to decipher. Right. Um, but here, for example, Psalm 84, which we're going to be looking at, this psalm, uh, this, the title gives us an indicator of who the authors are, or an author. And it says that this is a psalm of the sons of Korah. So, so if, if we're going to be dealing with that, we got to be like, well, who, who are the sons of Korah? And, and that, might stretch our, that might stretch our Bible knowledge a bit more, because that's not maybe like a Sunday school answer. You know, we don't always talk about you know, who all the different um, sub-tribes of Levi are. But in this case, that's an important thing. So we're actually going to be looking at a psalm text that deals with uh, references to being in the house of the Lord or the dwelling place of the Lord, the courts of the Lord. So, so we're going to be thinking temple right off the bat because we should. And the fact is we're reading a text written by a member of one of the subdivisions of the tribe of Levi. And now that, if we talk about tribes of Levi, 
that might perk up our listeners a bit more. That would be, oh, yes. Okay, that's the tribe that the Lord took for himself and assigned it uh, to be the ones who worked in the tabernacle or temple. So in this case, we're going to be dealing with a text written by a member of one of those subdivisions of the tribe of Levi, um, which made him a temple worker. And that's going to be an interesting sort of thing. If you keep that in mind, then a couple of the sentences, at least the several of the verses that we read in this psalm, will kind of jump off the page. It'll be like, oh, okay, this guy's actually talking about personal experience at, at, at times. All right, well, let's go ahead and take a look at this text. This is Psalm 84. The superscription reads, To the choir master, according to the Gittith, a psalm of the sons of Korah. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. That's our text for today. That is Psalm 84. Pastor Zimmerman, looking at this psalm as a whole, how would you structure it? How does it lay out as a a whole? So there's going to be a couple parts to the psalm so um kind of the initial part of the psalm perhaps like verses one through four are going to be references um to the lord's dwelling place so again the temple and the benefits of uh being in the lord's presence that that that's that's going to be something the psalmist is going to want to have in in fact we'll kind of talk about that especially with uh, verse 2, when we get that in, in um, uh, specificity. We also have, uh, towards the latter part of the psalm, um, some prayers that the psalmist gives, uh, asking for the Lord to look upon him and um, really kind of look upon uh, even perhaps even the king of Judah. That will be like verses 8 and 9. And then maybe more of a kind of a statement about um, in more general terms, about the uh, the trustworthiness and the faithfulness of the Lord uh, providing what is beneficial and good to those who put their faith and trust in Him. That, that's kind of the latter the latter part of the psalm itself, uh, more like verses uh, uh, ten through twelve, and, and so that might be a little bit if we kind of want to maybe look at this as like maybe with some more personal reflections of the psalmist's own situation in the first several verses, 
and then maybe a little more general application to to all the Lord's faithful um, in in the latter part. All right. So with those larger themes in mind, let's take a look at the verses. Verse one: How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! This really sets the the theme for the psalm. It, it does. And right off the bat, if 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 you're if you're speaking about the Lord's dwelling place being lovely. Um, we know from the from the start that this is going to be speaking uh, that the psalmist is speaking from the posture of faith and, mm-hmm. and belief. Um, the the pagan worshiper of false gods. Okay, so p- pick whatever false god you want for the ancient Near East. Okay, that they're not going to speak about the lo- the, the the temple or the dwelling place of Yahweh as being lovely. That. It would be like, that's not the God they worship. That's not the God they trust in. It's a competitor God, you know, anything like that. So the, the very fact that the, the psalmist begins with that statement knows that, that we are seeing from that text itself that this is someone who is approving of Yahweh, approving of what goes on in the temple. Um, as the Lord has established, compared to maybe what what other people may have wanted to do in the temple because we 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 do have to wrestle with the fact that in the old testament history there were even plenty of people descendants of abraham isaac and jacob who were doing all sorts of you know foolishness and folly in the temple right. we even get to the point of jesus himself where he even even in his life has to clear it of of, of um you know uh, marketeers and <laughs> things like that um so we want to emphasize that here the psalmist is actually speaking from the posture of faith. And faith is not just um, uh, random belief or nebulous belief. But when we're talking about the posture of faith from the scriptural point of view, we're going to be that this is a believer who is receiving the testimony of what the Lord makes concerning himself and is believing that. And that, that's not unimportant to, to emphasize. So, thinking about this word "lovely," what what would you say makes the dwelling place of the Lord lovely? I mean, when you think about the tabernacle before the temple and the temple itself built by Solomon, both were certainly beautiful, lovely structures in the sense that they were aesthetically pleasing. But it seems to me that in the context of Psalm eighty-four, especially the loveliness of the Lord's dwelling place has—it's not only about it's a beautiful structure. But it seems to me that it's more about this is where God himself is, and that's where I go to be with him. Ultimately, that is what makes that building different. Uh, we, we, we can make any sort of edifice be uh, aesthetically pleasing. Um, but what makes this one actually truly lovely is the promise that the Lord makes concerning that building. He, he says, here, both in the tabernacle and then in the temple, so, so, so either or, uh, the Lord promises to be there and to deal with his people and to bring his benefits to his people and to act, to act favorably for his people. And that's important because uh, there are plenty of things that if the Lord were to, were to only act out of like purely just motive, uh, purely fairly with, with his people, it would be like, I'm just, I, I need to, I need to smite them. I, I need to dismiss them. I need to completely, um, 
you know, throw them into the cosmic, you know, trash can <laughs> because there, there, there's plenty to be dealt with in that way. But the Lord says, I'm actually going to act favorably on these things. I, I'm going to act for your benefit in here, which is the forgiving aspect that the Lord uh, makes. How many of the things in the temple are dealing with the sacrifices that are either dealing with the guilt or reestablishing the fellowship between uh, God and man, which had been broken, not by God. Remember, it, it, it's not from his end that it's broken. It's from our end. And the fact that the Lord says, I'm going to act favorably in these things. I'm going to act to restore this relationship that you have broken it is an expression of his loving kindness. It's an expression of his mercy and grace. And, and, and that's what really what the temple is all kind of almost wrapped up in. Yeah. Well, and I think that's why, not to jump too far ahead, but just to make mention that in verse 3, when the psalmist speaks about the sparrow, the swallow finding a home, that it's specifically at the altars that, mm -hmm. that the home is found. That it's not just, again, a beautiful building, but what the Lord does here, the promises that he has attached to his presence, that he comes there for the benefit of his people. So it, it makes the dwelling place of the Lord of hosts lovely, and it makes it a place to be desired. Talk about the desire that we see of the psalmist, especially in verse 2. So the psalmist says, I mean, if you kind of just, just read the verse 2, it's like he wants to be there. <laughs> now, this is kind of a strange uh, issue, though. Because if this is a text written by one of the sons of Korah, as the title says, um, and there are people who, if you look at, like, in First Chronicles, that one of the assignments given to this division of the, of the tribe of Levi is they're supposed to be the gatekeepers. They're supposed to be the, the part of the people who are involved with, um, you know, protecting the temple um, you know, determining admission into the temple, um, even some of the singers in the temple, which is another aspect of, of that subdivision. Um, if that's the case, then, then, then why, why is perhaps the, the psalmist indicating that he wants to be there um, in the sense of, is there something keeping him from being there? And I don't mean like just like, okay, maybe it's not the month that his subunit is assigned duties. Okay. I mean, okay, that that's more of a regular rotation kind of thing. All right, fair. Um, but is there something like impeding him from, from being there? Um, is there something preventing him from being in that presence? And you kind of read the psalm and you get that feeling that there, 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 there's something that is like preventing him. And so much so that he, he is longing for the ability uh, to be back in the presence of the Lord in, in, his, uh, in his courts, in, in the temple courts, meaning that whatever is preventing him from being there needs to be overcome. Or, actually, if you look at some of the verb tenses, perhaps, that there had been something preventing him from being there, and it has been overcome which then kind of moves the psalm into maybe not as much um, a psalm of complaint um, in the present as much as reflecting on the past, and now that's been overcome and makes it more of a psalm of joy. Hmm. So, I mean, even perhaps in the sense that this psalm would be used upon 
the return to the house of the Lord. Whatever exactly. had been keeping the psalmist away, now that he has come yet again, here is the way that he praises and prays upon that joyous occasion. Yeah, very much so. Uh, okay. And we, ahead, and we yeah. can think of that, too. I mean, there, there are times, if we think of just in our modern application, we, we get that kind of feeling of some of us who are, who are ministers uh, get to see it maybe more when there's been something that has kept, like, one of our parishioners away. Right. Okay, so, you know, we, we've dealt with that uh, with some of the people in my congregation where every once in a while it's because they've been deployed, you know, militarily. Uh, there's an illness that has kept them away, you know. Uh, they have, they've had you know, a, a fracture of a bone and they were immobilized for several weeks and now they're able to be, yes, we do the shut-in visits and the homebound visits and the hospital visits, but they all recognize there's something, there's something about being with all the other worshipers in the place that's been set aside uh, for the Lord to bring his gifts to us. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I'm reminded of the way that COVID and the pandemic affected all of us. And there there was that great longing of the people of God to be back together within the house of the Lord, as you said, the place that has been set aside for the hearing of his word, for the receiving of his gifts. I think many faithful Christians have experienced what's happened or what's being praised in Psalm 84. Yeah, I think that's, that's it's going to be one of the examples that's going to be um, for us who went through that, that that's just going to be in our memory bank. That's going to be one we're going to we're going to pull up again and again and again, and hopefully just never do we have to experience something like that. Um, and for us, it was kind of a sort of a minor thing compared to uh, what some of our Christian brothers and sisters around the world have had to face with, like you know, uh, political regimes keeping right. people out and and things like that. But yeah, that is definitely one of the things that uh, uh, I think most of our people have experienced personally. Yeah. Now, what about, I mean, now we've been talking about maybe extreme examples being kept mm -hmm. from the house of the Lord for lengthy periods of time for, for maybe more extreme reasons. It seems to me, though, that Psalm 84 also finds a place for the just the faithful Christian in terms of that weekly rhythm of going to the Lord's house. There is this desire that is there for the Lord's people to go back to his house yet again. And and even that, you know, that desire and that joy that happens even on a regular basis, I think, has a, a place here in Psalm 84. Yeah, that's a that's a good observation. And and if I think of it, um you seem to have that kind of reflected in some of our what you might even call like modern psalms, if you will, that you know some of our in our in our hymnal, if you would go and start looking at some of the um, the hymns that are kind of designated like opening of service or, or yeah. things like that, where where that kind of language is used and reflecting kind of the uh, just a simple aspect of we're we're here and we're coming back to this place that um, yes we have spent a week or maybe even a couple weeks away. And now we're um, able to gather again uh, to receive Christ's gifts. Yeah, yeah. I'm just I, I've got a, the Lutheran service book here in front of me, and the first one that's labeled "Beginning of Service" is number nine hundred one. Open now thy gates of beauty, Zion. Let me enter there, where my soul in joyful duty waits for Him who answers prayer. Oh, how blessed is this place! filled with solace, light, and grace. Uh, maybe not the exact language of Psalm 84, but certainly those same themes present it's in that hymn. definitely the same theme. 
<laughs> for yeah. sure. All right, so this is the the longing of the people of God is to be present there with the Lord in his dwelling place together with the faithful people of God. That then finds an example, the psalmist finds an example of the way that this happens, even for, for birds, for sparrows, for swallows. We've got about two minutes here before we need to take our break, Pastor Zimmerman. Help us into the next couple verses. Sure. So the, the psalmist actually kind of reflects on perhaps some things he actually personally saw as someone who, who had uh, a role of being a temple worker, which he, which he has as, as one of the sons of Korah. And, and so he, he kind of reflects on the fact that, you know, the temple um, does have walls and things like that, but it, it's not like roofed everywhere. You, you have kind of open cords and um, porticos and places, you know, it's not like ours where almost like hermetically sealed buildings, right? You know, uh, so we can run our air conditioners, right? And things like that. Um, but that's not the case of the temple grounds. And so because it has a bit of an open air concept um, in this temple complex, you could even find places where you know, literally birds flew in and out and not the ones being yeah. sacrificed, just other, other, right. other birds, right? Um, and, and the example of that is like, okay, well, you even have like a sparrows even finding homes in the temple and, and being welcomed to the Lord's presence. And that might bring up to, to mind, for example, though, as he echoes this in verse four, blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise, where he's talking about the humans. It's like, if the birds, which even Jesus says, like in the gospels, right? The, you know, the, 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 the birds get cared for by the Lord yeah. and you're more valuable than the birds, right? Mm. And so if, if the birds can find a place in the Lord's uh, house and courts, how much more are the humans going to find a place because these are the ones that he's actually making atonement for and is bringing back into fellowship with him. And that's the great promise that he has made about um, the privileges that he extends to his faithful people. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the, the way Jesus speaks about the birds there in Matthew 10, I think, is, is just absolutely marvelous and certainly a connection that we can draw here. How much more is this our home, our dwelling place with God? That is his desire, is to dwell with us as his people. We're going to keep looking at Psalm 84 on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO. We're talking to Pastor Luke Zimmerman this morning. We will be right back. Please stick around. What do you think of when you hear the word college? Expensive? Liberal? Woke? Imagine a college that is affordable. A college that is unapologetically conservative and Lutheran. A college that won't take a dime of federal funding. A college that teaches the best of our Western heritage. A college where students grow in the Christian faith instead of leaving it behind. This is Luther Classical College. A college by Lutherans and for Lutherans. Visit our website, lutherclassical.org. Subscribe, become a patron, and join the thousands who are making Luther Classical College a reality. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Monday, July 17th. We're studying Psalm 84 with Pastor Luke Zimmerman. He serves at Calvary Evangelical Lutheran Church in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. 
Pastor Zimmerman, prior to the break, we were looking especially at verses 3 and 4, where the psalmist brings up the example of the sparrows, the swallows that find a home there. And you mentioned the, the New Testament example where Jesus talks about the care that the Heavenly Father has for even sparrows and how much more valuable are we than they. My mind also goes to the, the parable that Jesus tells in Matthew 13 of the mustard seed that starts as that small seed and it grows, and Jesus says it provides a, a home to all the birds of the air. And I think maybe there's a connection we can draw between the way that that's the kingdom of God and what is being said about the house of the Lord here in Psalm 84. Yeah, you know, the parable is interesting because it's it's going to be um, it's it's going to reflect also the fact that ultimately um, what the Lord provided for His people in the Old Testament then also finds a a fulfillment in the people who come to faith in Him and his anointed one, his Christ, and that ultimately, uh, using the example of the parable of all kinds of birds find, find their home in the, in the great tree that, that springs up, is um, actually kind of foretelling the Gentile mission um, of, of, of bringing all people up. Let's put it this way, that people from all earthly groups can be part of the Lord's kingdom. They can be they they can be counted among the Lord's faithful people. That ultimately it's not going to be one ethnic group that that meets this criteria. Um, and that really the, the 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 criteria is actually faith in in the Lord and and the one he has sent. Which is which is going to be a big kind of thing because what we don't want to give the impression is just simply because you could enter into the temple grounds you were blessed, um, you would be if you are believing and trusting in the one um, to whom that building has been dedicated and who is acting there and who is present there. Um, just because you're in the building doesn't mean you're you're having blessing, uh, because again we we can have the negative examples of the Old Testament where um, you you see the misuses that were brought into the building, as well as people who may have been going through all the actions but not actually believing them, and that's where you see the criticism that uh, the Lord actually issues through some of his prophets about about that. Right, right. I think that I mean a help. One of the things in terms of connecting it to Matthew 13 is that you see the the fulfillment is found not so much in a building. We don't need to go to a place in Jerusalem today to dwell in the house of the Lord, but we need to go to the temple who is Jesus Christ, the mm -hmm. you know God who dwells among us in our flesh. He tabernacles among us as John makes that connection for us in his first chapter. That's where we're going to go. and and to how do you go to him and receive this joy? It is with faith in him. Now, I mean, we should be careful, I think, especially in our day and age, there is, uh, there's some, there's those who would say, well, I don't need to go to the building. Well, technically, you know, you don't have to go to a church building, but you should. I guess here, this is maybe the way right. I'd put it. You, there is certainly the possibility that a person can go into the church building hypocritically without faith. The answer to that, which is a problem, the answer to that isn't to stop going to the building. 
the answer is to start going to the building with faith in the one who makes himself present for you there. Right. Um, we need to encounter God if, if, we're, if we want to receive his favorable work, um, especially if we're going to be talking about, I want to receive not just his providential gifts, which honestly he gives to the unbelievers, right? That's a, the rain yeah. and sunshine on the believer and unbelievers alike, right? Okay. It, oh, we just have to be on earth for that. But if you want to receive uh, the favorable gifts um, and favorable actions of the Lord uh, to deal with the matter of sin and guilt, which in the Old Testament was tied to the acts of the temple, sacrifices of the temple, the Lord puts his promises in those things. Where now in a New Testament era does the Lord promise to act? Okay, well, we have the, the work of the Christ who, the, who fulfills these things and, and brings salvation through his sacrifice, through his being offered for us. Excellent. Where does he say he's going to distribute the benefits of that? Uh, now we have to be thinking, okay, where has he put his promises? And there we actually do have some specific things. We might not have specific location where he says he does this, but we do have specific means by which he says, I'm bringing these benefits. So we need to be, where is Christ crucified proclaimed? Where are we uh, baptizing people to unite them to the death and resurrection of Christ? Where are we to receive the declaration of forgiveness because we are preaching repentance of forgiveness of sins in the Christ's name, and even maybe even on an individual basis in, in terms of absolution? Where are we recounting the death of Christ in sacrifice for us so that we might eat and drink in remembrance of him? Now, those things can indeed take place in all sorts of locations, which can make anything a lovely place where yeah. that happens. As, as uh, one of my parishioners could talk about in his experience that, you know, even the, you know, even the, the hood of a Jeep can be a lovely dwelling place of the Lord. Yes, in Vietnam, that was absolutely so when a chaplain came and was dealing with his unit and bringing... Uh, the benefits of Christ through these established means, all right? It's a lot nicer when we can set aside a sanctuary for that, you know? Um, and so now the, the question would be, um, if I'm not coming to the places where that have been set aside for those activities, are those activities being brought to where I am? And that's our homebound, our sick, and things like that. But there's another thing would be like, okay, I'm in my living room. And I'm not actually engaging with the crucified Christ being proclaimed. And I'm not gathering with other people in his name uh, to receive his gifts. I'm just hanging out on a Sunday morning. Well, that's a, that's a totally different kind of situation. Yeah. And so it would be like, are, am, am I connected to these places or means where Christ has put his promises? That's the yep. big thing. Yep, that's very well said. I mean, because we want to, yeah, very well said. Let's 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 keep moving on because that's just fantastic summary. I can't say it better. So in verses, and I think you've already started to talk about a little bit this verse four. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. And I think that that does then connect into verse five as well. 
blessed are those whose strength is in you and whose heart are the highways to Zion. So you have two beatitudes there, a connection, but also probably a bit of a transition. Keep us moving in this psalm. Sure. So probably, again, we're going to be kind of reflecting in the end of verse 4, um, this, the psalmist speaking about like himself, the role that he had, or other people similar to him in the sons of Korah. But then he starts extending the idea of blessedness wasn't only for them who had the job of being dwelling in the Lord's house as their vocation, like a kind of specific vocation in terms of literally, um, yeah, we kind of sleep in the dormitories in the temple grounds when our unit's on duty. Okay, well, that's true. There are people blessed absolutely when they are carrying that out. But the fact is blessedness is extended to all the people who are finding their strength and and um, salvation and help in Yahweh the Lord. And that's who he's starting to refer to in verse 5, is he's moving in a way from more um, specific application to perhaps these people who are Levites to the, the, the general faithful. Not that they're set against each other, but one has a particular vocation uh, of being in the temple as a, even a job, which, which you know, some of us who, you know, wear the black shirts and white collars can kind of think of, right? Um, but, the, but, but, but the blessedness is extended to every one of my parishioners. It's, it's extended to all the faithful in Israel in the Old Testament. I mean, that, that, that's, that's the case um, because that's a blessedness that doesn't come be, from a vocation tied to the work in the temple. It's a, it's a blessedness that comes from the vocation of being called to put your faith and hope and trust and love in, in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who has made all these promises and is keeping these covenants that he's made, made with the people. So if that's the case, if, if that's the posture we have, we're putting our fear, love, and trust in him, we're finding our strength in him, that's, that's tied to this blessedness that he is extending to us. Hmm. So what does it mean? And there's a little bit of a, a textual issue here. What does it mean, in whose heart are the highways to Zion? What's being said there? Yeah, that's a good, that's a good question. And um, one of the things that we have to note is that like the words to Zion aren't actually in the Hebrew text. Now, you'd be like, okay, now what do we do? All right. Well, we have to make this make sense in our translation. And some English uh, versions say, well, maybe it makes sense because the, the, the psalmist is talking about the temple and the temple mount and the courts and stuff like that, that it's kind of inferred. And we do this in English, by the way. We do this in our conversation. Um, I, I, I want to go with, right? We, we say like that. Well, you have to know what the conversation's about. Well, someone says, I'm going to go to the store or something like that. And it'd be like, well, that's what the conversation's about. Or I want to go to the concert. And I would say, well, I want to go with. Now, in English, it'd be like, I want to go with you to the concert. That's, that's like the, the, the whole extended uh, meaning of, of that sentence. So we infer things like that all the time in, in our kind of conversations. And Hebrew is no different. But there could be something about wanting to maybe leave this a little ambiguous. That perhaps we're not just talking about the people in whose heart are the highways to Zion, as in they're thinking about the pilgrimages they're going to make to the temple. But perhaps the psalmist might even be thinking about just like the ways or the highways in a, in a kind of symbolic sense, meaning kind of like the ways of the Lord. 
because we talk about following the paths of the Lord or the ways yeah. of the Lord, um, the way of discipleship. And some of our English translations just leave it in that ambiguous sense. Um, um, and not only that, I mean, uh, Luther kind of does too. <laughs> he translated it into uh, German uh, and he, and we would say uh, kind of in our English way, it would be like uh, the people are like are wholeheartedly following after you. Um, they're, they're following the Lord's ways uh, in whose heart are your ways. That would be um, uh, another way of putting it into English. So mm. that they, they don't have to run counter to each other. And that's always the, that's always the tricky thing. Even when we bring these up, like a textual kind of stuff, because what we don't want our listeners to be like, it's like, well, I read this and now this isn't like the word of God or, or you know, we don't want to give that impression. But we can point out that sometimes when we bring things from one language into another, there can be some ambiguity. There can be a little bit of like what what, what are the translators inferring? And even if you don't do that, um, you're not setting these two things up against each other. Right. Yeah. Sometimes we do. This isn't that. This wouldn't be one of them. This. Verse. Right. Right. Yeah. So to to infer that the their ways at the end of verse five is the ways to Zion is fair, and that would certainly mm -hmm. be a part of the ways if it's intended to be a little more ambiguous. So yeah, to to have in your heart the highways to Zion is a part of it, but it might be broader than that. And mm -hmm. I'm I'm intrigued by that broader understanding of it simply just from having studied Psalm 1 recently on Sharper Iron and the way that the way of the Lord figures prominently there, and even the water imagery figures prominently in Psalm 1, which also comes up here in Psalm 84. So take us into to verses 6 and 7, which kind of go along with verse 5. Yeah, so in verses 6 and 7, there's kind of a description of, um, it kind of it's the picture, word picture, of, of people on pilgrimage or on travel. And, and the psalmist says, they go through this valley of Bacaw and make it a place of springs, and and the early rain covers it with pools, and and it's like, well, that's an interesting kind of thing because one of the stuff, one of the issues that when we read that, we'd be like, well, where is this valley of Bacaw, right? We well, I want to dig out my uh, Bible map and find the valley of Bacaw, and um, well, it's not used, it's not really like referred to in the Old Testament. And so sometimes when we get these uh, uh, topographical names, we have to say, are they referring to an exact geographical location, which sometimes they absolutely are? Are they talking about symbolic location, which sometimes they are? Are they talking about both a literal location and a symbolic location at the same time? which sometimes they are, you know? And this is always our, um, our translators have to deal with this at times because, you know, you capitalize valley with a V and you capitalize the Bacaw with a B and everyone's thinking like place name. And then we don't find the place name. So a valley of Bacaw could just be also kind of translated as like the valley of tears or, or the valley of weeping. And that might bring up to mind, um, you know, like in Psalm 23, we talk about the, the, the valley of the shadow of death. And, and, and we're not talking about like that's a place name. It's like going through a travel where, you know, there's hazards, right? 
So if the valley of Bacaw is just like a, a valley of tears or a valley of weeping, or, or as we might call it, not valley, but we use that even in our English language, like the veil of tears, right? Mm. In, in kind of a wide space of, of, of tears. Um, it's like, if we think of it maybe a little more symbolically um, or figuratively, it's like we're going through, you know, when the Lord's people go through places or times where the situations they're encountering bring sorrow and affliction, one of the things that the Lord's faithful people also do are they are directed to, again, emphasize that their strength is not in themselves. What's getting them through these things isn't all their ingenuity or their, or their cleverness or, or their internal fortitude, right? You know, things like that, but rather the God who's actually present with them, bringing them, guiding them, leading them, calling them, you know, summoning them, you know, kind of drawing them to, to where he can be found and where he can give his gifts and blessings and actually bringing his people through these issues. Um, and that, that's one of the things that um, when we're reflecting again with our fellow believers we're all going through things that that causes affliction and sorrow, and um, we're directed to to put our faith and trust in the Lord, and that He is still with us, and ultimately is going to bring us um, into His presence, both temporally, you know, where, where He is with His gifts now, but then ultimately into His presence at at the end of all things, the consummation of all things. Mm. So take us into the prayer that comes in verses 8 and 9. You mentioned how the prayers start to show up a little bit more at the end of the psalm. Okay, so this prayer, again, um, is going to be directed, as we know, from this faithful person. He is praying to the God of hosts, the God of Jacob. Again, those are titles that the Lord in the Old Testament uses to identify himself. Okay, so the psalmist is using the names of God or different uh, terms, uh, uh, titles of God when, when he is uh, addressing him. And that's, again, sometimes we run right over that. We do that with the Lord's Prayer sometimes. We yeah. run right over the Our Father. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. And, and, and Luther says there's a, lot, there's a lot involved in just that title we use yeah. uh, when we're addressing God. So here he, have, he has a prayer um, that he, he is asking for the Lord to be uh, attentive to him. Um, hearing what he says, giving ear to him. That can be um, one. It can be uh, in, in the way that he had prayed to overcome whatever was keeping him from the temple. So it can be reflected of that. Um, it could be when he comes into the temple, or and, and not just him, but all the Lord's faithful. When they are coming into the temple, they they are praying to him. They're praying to God um, to to answer their petitions that they're that they're basing on the promises he's made i uh, i want our sins to be forgiven i i want our fellowship to be reinstated as you know what, whatever is broken it um and that's what the sacrifices and things would do additionally he can also be praying for the lord's anointed and that's in verse nine so he could be praying for the you know the king of judah um, and if you read the Old Testament, there's an awful lot of times the kings of Judah need an awful lot of prayers because <laughs> some of them 
were not exactly the most faithful of the Lord's people. I mean, there, there some who were, uh, some who are very good examples of faithfulness. You know, Josiah is pretty good. Hezekiah is pretty good. Uh, then there are ones that we would say we do not use as positive examples. We use as negative examples. And so you could have a, just a, you know, a prayer for the leader um, of, of the nation. And by the way, we pray for them too in our prayers of the church, uh, including some who aren't even believers in, in God, but we, we do pray for them. Uh, the going thing would be the assumption is that the, the, the king of Judah ought to be a believer in the God right. of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Judah, for that matter. But not always was it so. Sure, yeah. So let's. I want to make sure we keep going because we, we're running short on time here, Pastor Zimmerman. Sure. There's a lot, as you said, we could have spent tons of time just talking about the title, Lord God of Hosts, my King, my God, the God of Jacob. We could have spent the whole time talking about that. We could have spent yes. a lot of time talking about the anointed and how that connects us to Christ because that is the word. I do want to keep going. Verse 10 yeah. is probably one of the, the well-known verses of this psalm. A day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. What is the psalmist saying there? It's better to be in the Lord's presence where he promises to be found and where he's bringing his benefits to his people, which are not only temporal, but actually go on into eternity, than associating with the evil and the wicked people who want nothing to do with the Lord and are not dealing with his promises or benefits or what they're offering is, is okay, it looks good now, but it's not going to last. Um, uh, it's, it, it's, it's tempting, uh, but it, it, it's actually, uh, ultimately fleeting. Um, and the fact is that it's interesting that the person writing it is be like, and uh, what was his vocation? You know, again, one, one of the things that some of the sons of Korah actually literally were, were the doorkeepers or gatekeepers of, <laughs> of the house of the Lord. So he kind of likes his vocation. And by the way, for some of us who are in, again, in the clerical uh, vocation, the, the, uh, the, the pastoral vocation, um, there are times when we really need to be intentionally speaking about that it actually is a positive vocation. It, mm -hmm. it brings burdens, sure. But you know what? Every single vocation the Lord gives to a person brings burdens in this world. And our pastoral vocation is no different than any of the other vocations that some of our people are having, where as they're living as the Lord's faithful people, it brings burdens, okay? And for us who are ministers, it, it, it is indeed a, a worthy and good vocation, and every vocation brings responsibilities, and carrying that out in the world it brings work, okay? But it's a good one. Yeah, and we need right. people to enter into it too. That's a, a, you know, not 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 the shill for our church body, but that that is one of the things we're trying to find people to come into the pastoral vocation, and and if we're in it, we we shouldn't um, speak negatively of it. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. To be a servant of God as a pastor is a blessed vocation, and to be a servant of God in whatever vocation He gives is a blessed vocation. It's Anyone a blessed who. Vocation. Yeah, anyone who dwells in the house of the Lord, no matter how insignificant of a position it may seem, has a blessed gift from the Lord, and Psalm 84 rightly extols that for us. Got about two minutes here, Pastor Zimmerman. Help us into the last two verses of Psalm 84. Help us to wrap things up this morning. 
So one of the things that kind of wraps up is uh, statements about, okay, we, we want to be in the Lord's presence. That, that's been a big theme in, in this whole psalm. So now we have these great statements about the Lord himself and what he does for his people. And that's why being in his presence is so good. That's why coming to the temple is actually beneficial. Because why? The Lord God bestows favor and honor. The Lord God actually, if, 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 if the people are following his way, he's not keeping anything good from them. And I know sometimes it might seem like, oh, you know, it would be great if the Lord would give us this and that and everything, you know, it'd be like, is he actually giving all good things to us? And the answer is yes. Um, there's nothing that we need for our uh, salvation that he is not providing. There's actually nothing that we need for our earthly lives that he's not providing for us. Um, that's actually part of contentment is learning that. Um uh, but we learn it because we are actually hearing what the Lord says about himself and that we are trusting that. We're believing that. Um, as we hear what the Lord says about himself and we are trusting and believing it, that's what leads us to now see the things that he bestows to us with the eyes of faith. It actually allows us to see the situation we were in in, in, in the eyes of faith. And that's what the psalmist at the end says, you know, oh, Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Absolutely. Uh, the one who is actually putting their trust in the Lord of hosts is re receiving all the good things that the Lord promises to give. And that includes even being in the times when we're going through those valleys of uh, sorrow and weeping, that the Lord actually is present and is bestowing his good things to us, even in the midst of such um, situations. Pastor Luke Zimmerman is pastor at Calvary Evangelical Lutheran Church in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. He has been helping us today to study Psalm 84. Pastor Zimmerman, thanks for being our guest today. Uh, very welcome. Glad to do it. How lovely is the dwelling place of the Lord of hosts. Our Lord Jesus Christ dwells with us. He is God in the flesh. He is the temple where he has promised to be. There he is with his gifts of life and salvation. Join me, dear Christians, in fleeing to him and running and finding refuge in him, for it is better to dwell with him than anywhere else. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. If you have any questions about Psalm 84, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. It's always a pleasure to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow. tomorrow.